Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, those with a giving spirit and a desire to build up civil society find ways to be helpful. And that's when it's good to have a charitable resource ready to deploy when they're needed most. Donors Trust offers donor-advised funds or giving accounts. You can use these funds as your own charitable investment account and manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax-advantaged, aligned with your values, and private. Donors Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account to simultaneously support think tanks and liberty-minded organizations that believe our constitutional rights shouldn't get lost in a time of emergency. Now is the time to take a closer look at Donors Trust and join their community of liberty-minded donors by opening a donor-advised fund. Go to DonorsTrust.org slash JustNews for the ultimate survival guide to charitable giving and learn how a donor advised fund can preserve your ability to give to the charities you love. That's DonorsTrust.org slash Just News. Hello and welcome to the Victor Davis Hanson show. The namesake of the show is Victor Davis Hanson and he is a scholar, a commentator and an author and a, also a farmer. I know that he doesn't currently actively work the farm, but he still lives on his sixth generation farm. So Victor has a lot of information on his website about farming, but also about other current topics. And that website is found at victorhanson.com. That's H-A-N-S-O-N. And it's called The Blade of Perseus. So come join us for $5 a month or join for an entire year at $50. We welcome everybody. You can also come for a free subscription and get on our newsletter mailing and all the free stuff that is on the website will be available to you and you will get an email with uh, the latest stories from the website. So please join us. We have a lot on our agenda. This is the Friday edition, and we're going to look at the news. So we'll be talking about the voting machines and Elon Musk first. So stay with us, and we'll be right back after this break. Hey, folks, if you've been listening to our show, you've probably heard Victor talk about Hillsdale College. It's one of the few colleges in the U.S., still interested in teaching truth. What you probably didn't know is that they have over 40 free online courses. And Victor is one of the professors in three of those courses, American Citizenship and Its Decline, based on Victor's book, The Dying Citizen, How Progressive Elites, Tribalism, and Globalization Are Destroying the Idea of America, The Second World Wars, based on his book by the same name, and Athens and Sparta, partly based on his book, A War Like No Other, How the Athenians and Spartans Fought the Peloponnesian War. Don't you wish Victor would have been one of your professors in college? Well, now you can join him as he covers some of the main ideas of his books with Hillsdale College's online courses, all available for free. That's right, for free. The courses are seven to nine episodes long, and they are self-spaced, so you can take them whenever and wherever. I think I'm going to start with American Citizenship and Its Decline, where Victor explores the history of citizenship in the West and the threats it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. Hey, start your free course with Victor Davis Hansen today 
Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash VDH to start. It's free and it's easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu slash VDH to start. hillsdale.edu slash VDH. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? For our listeners, Factor is giving you 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month when you use the promo code VICTOR50 at factormeals.com slash VICTOR50. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Remember, to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month, head to factormeals.com slash victor50, that's V-I-C-T-O-R-5-0, and use the code victor50, that's code victor50, at factormeals.com slash victor50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Welcome back. Um, and we're happy everybody joined us. I would like to remind you that Victor is the Martin and Neely Anderson Senior Fellow in Military History and Classics at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. Victor, I know we like to start our, especially our news, because sometimes the news gets a little bleak these days, although I hope our first topics are not too bad, especially Elon Musk. There's a lot uh, that he had to say that was very interesting. But did you have anything um, to talk to us about pos that's positive in the world positive, today? Positive, positive, positive. Mm, yes. Well, Besides Elon Musk. Ah, <laughs> uh, well... Looks like the stream of um, subtropical and northern storms are over with, and we're starting to slowly get back to normal California weather. But we have a, what do the lefts call it? Walls are closing in, bombshell flood melt coming. Mm, uh, so yes. it's coming, and we don't know what the Tulare Lake Basin, Basin will look like. And I've got to get up to the Sierra because I've got 20 feet of some kind of glacier on either side of my house. I'm afraid it's going to start moving. Yes. And you can't put your hand on it and say, please stop. So <laughs> uh, other than that, I am drinking my Elevate hydrogen water. I went to acupuncture today. I'm doing oh, everything yes. in the world to snap back after this tiny, microscopic, silly, stupid, bee or wasp or whatever it was rendered me help helpless i'm really angry about that yeah and i was over this so-called long COVID, and now i'm clawing back and every time i see a bee i want to strangle it but i can't yeah maybe uh, we wasp. could say that 
Maybe we could say that in spite of Fauci's follies during the COVID incident, that medicine has done a great deal for us in the modern age, yeah, even all has. the way to supplements. So you know, when you look, you, yeah, when you look back at the whole COVID nightmare with Fauci, one thing I get very angry about is this: that he pushed big pharma solely. In other words, it was. It was Pfizer, Pfizer, Moderna, Moderna, booster, 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 nothing else. It's going to be the only way to do it. Or if you do get COVID, it's Paxlovid, Paxlovid. You know what I mean? It was yeah. never It was never these other doctors. I mean, he, I don't know about ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, but there were prior studies uh, done for other coronaviruses, the flu, that showed that these anti-inflammatory off-label uses were some efficacy. And he just dismissed them and he demonized people who suggest they had some utility, like that frontline uh, doctors association. And then there were mm -hmm. other things that people could do. You you just go online and there's people using off-label singular uh, monolukos. There's people losing, using quercetin. There was people using a lot of natural anti-inflammatories and and then things like pepsid which was an h2 and a histamine and then we found out that some people had dramatic results um from long and acute covid from benadryl and even zyrtec an antihistamine as if they had mast cell activation as well as the infection so what i'm getting at we lost two or three years without any protocols and the doctor's attitude was basically when you got covid and you went to the emergency room. I never did. I got very ill, but I never did. But I know people who did, and they had a fever, and they said, well, go home, take some Advil or Tylenol, and call me if you can't breathe. And that was it. It was never, yeah. these are some therapeutic, vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc. You know what I mean? It was never that. Yes. And, yes. That's, and that was coming from the top with Fauci. And now we yeah. know that if you just if you just go online and Google um COVID or long COVID uh, treatments, you, you will see, I'm not talking about blog posts or something, but, you know, somebody said, you know, that he spun around three times and drank a Coke and he was well. I'm talking about double blind studies from all over the world. There were a lot of therapeutics and off label and supplements that were of value and people never, they, it wasn't, they were not advised to take therapeutics, but they were demonized. And that was quackery. And we so we didn't really for two and a half years have any methodology to help people through the acute stage. And Paxlovid, yes. you know, I'm not a doctor, but it does all these it does have some considerations about renal uh, problems and side effects. So yes. I, I don't that's one of the worst things he did. He was just advocating, advocating big pharma. And we're going to find out the more, you know, the, the House Republic, the Senate Republicans have got more information and we've got the intelligence agency and the energy department. And it's pretty clear now that no one is going with the bat or the pangolin theory anymore. And that China's floated the <laughs> raccoon dog and all this crap that was disinformation that that Mr. Fauci promulgated. And we're going to find out. And that's why he looks so bad on TV when you see him now, that ultimately he is going to have funded gain-of-function research when he knew it was illegal in the United States. He channeled money, expertise, probably medical devices, who knows, through Echo Health. And they went over to an improperly secure bio biology lab run by the People's Liberation Army. And they created, the Chinese did, with American help, 
a gain-of-function deadly virus. And they knew that from the beginning because they exchanged emails uh, about how to keep the narrative that it was a natural cause rather than yes. a engineered virus with no prior pedigree in the animal kingdom. And that's yes. going to be really dangerous because if everybody just says, wait a minute, if that's true, Anthony Fauci in some ways is the godfather of the coronavirus, even though he was demonizing people like Jay Bacharya, Bacharya and, you know, Scott Atlas. So there, there's that, that that's going to be really it's it's so I guess what I'm trying to I'm grasping for words because it is so monumental that the dimensions of it are staggering that the head of the National Institute of Allergies and Infectious Diseases was circumventing American law and funding a very deadly type of research that ended up killing millions of people and then yes. was in control and could control the narrative and the funding for labs and punish people who disagreed with that self-serving narrative. Yes, and he was probably heavily invested in the pharmaceuticals we'll see. he was advocating we'll see. for we'll after see. that. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Rand Paul has got his number, and Rand Paul yeah. is sort of bulldog-like tenacious. And when <laughs> and he's embarrassed Fauci two or three times. Fauci is a creature of left-wing media, and is if left-wing media finds that he's expendable, and that the preponderance of evidence can no longer be massaged, and they'll dump him. And mm. that's going to be tragic. And so when we had Stephen Quay on the program, he was pretty accurate, comprehensive, and very professional without being conspiratorial. But he essentially said that there was a lot of self-censorship, a lot of journal peer review censorship, Lancet's uh, questionable investigation, all of this use of science under the quote of I am the science to stifle any type of narrative that A, would have helped people and B, would have incriminated Anthony Fauci. Yeah. Well, Victor, well, let's turn to the voting machines and the company had a um, a suit against Fox News for defamation of its machines. And one of the things that was said, and probably there were others by lawyers um, for Trump on, on the various channels, was that the machines were rigged against the former president. And so I was wondering, that's probably a short story, but did you have any thoughts on that? They did win their case. Well, there's two questions. I mean, there's two issues here. There is the one issue were the machines rigged? No. And were there people who knew that they weren't rigged and were deliberately disseminating false information? Well, Tucker Carlson actually said, he said, because I can remember I was on his show, at least on one occasion, he did another, that he wanted, I mean, I, I was in waiting in my barn waiting to go on, and I could hear the show that he said to basically Sidney Powell, you can come on today, you can come on next week, you can come on next month, you can have whatever time you want. But so far, you produce no evidence about these machines. And I did Lou Dobbs um, business, and I followed her once, and she was saying this, this, this about the Dominion, that they were communicating. I thought, my God, does she have any evidence for that? So when it came my turn, and I don't think the host got very happy with me. I said very politely, I think 
if there were irregularities in the balloting, it was not done on election day. It was a process in March, April, and May where people in the Trump campaign did not understand what Mark Zuckerberg and other people were doing, funding enormous legal teams to go into particular key states and to change by fiat or judicial order, uh, the bureaucratic fiat, the voting laws that had been passed by the legislature so that the net result in some states went from 40 or 30% mail-in balloting to 60 to 70%, even as, as I said, the authenticity or the audit of the particular cast ballots dropped by a magnitude of 10 in some cases, you know, from 4% rejection to 0.4, even as you're flooded with more, you think you'd have more rejection. Yeah. And that was everything from ballots not matching the registrar list or incomplete names or improper addresses or lack or improper signatures. So that was where the problem was, I think. And so then the other issue is, can people just spout stuff on TV? Uh, I can. My wife and I were over in Cayucas right during the debate. And I saw this uh, guy go on CNN. I don't know. He was a CIA operative. I don't know if you, Sammy, remember this guy. He was an African-American guy. And he was a guest. And he just flat out, right? In, I was watching the ocean out the window. And he said, and then we have Victor Davis Hansen, the Soviet agent or the C- CIA agent. I, 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 didn't, I, I was just flabbergasted, right? Wow, I, yes. Do you remember that? And he, yes. he, and I thought, do I sue him? And then I remember all of these people were, you know, telling us that Michael Flynn was essentially a Russian asset. James Clapper said that Donald Trump was a Russian asset on television. 50 people came on in various incarnations and said that the laptop was absolutely Russian disinformation. So what I'm getting at is, and look what they did to Carter Page. Uh, and mo- a lot of those defamation and damage suits have been thrown out. So what I'm getting at is I don't quite understand if Fox has Maria Bartoloma and they have Lou Dobbs that had guests on or they concurred with unsubstantiated opinions about Dominion and that was wrong and that is worth Almost what a billion dollars? Is that what I'm getting at? Is uh, what is that compared to destroying the life of Michael Flynn or Carter Page or George Papadopoulos, or in my case, telling everybody in the United States that I was a Russian operative because he got the name wrong? You know, I never got an apology. Yeah, and should I have sued him for character? I had a lot of people that called me about that and emailed me. Hey, Victor, you know that I didn't know you worked for the CIA and you turned state's evidence. Ha ha. But <laughs> my point is that I don't know what to the degree of politicalization or weaponization. Then the third and final issue is Fox settled. Right. And they settled yes. because of what they have another they have another lawsuit coming up by another you know company on the same t- title. Why did they settle on this? And I think it's because. 
They have a news organization to run and they don't want all of their internal communications, uh, you know, aired in a lengthy trial. So they just put a lid on it with Dominion, but they got this Smartmatic, you know, coming yeah. up another lawsuit. So I guess they figure that their revenues are such that they can take the, you know, I don't know, a billion, $2 billion hit. Yeah, But it does, yeah. I think it has a chilling effect. And I wish it was equitable and applied across the board because look, look what they did to, to the officer in the Ferguson story. Remember that hands up, don't shoot. And, yeah. and all of those CNN anchors put their hands up and they pranced around the newsroom hands up. That was a complete lie. And that was really defamatory to the officer who was threatened. He never, yes. nobody ever, Michael Brown never said that. We know yeah, that. Know. Or how about yeah. George Zimmerman when the cable news work, news uh, channels on the left, was it CNN? They Photoshop, they, they put a Photoshop picture that didn't reveal this, the full extent of his head wounds that he was suffered from Trayvon Martin. And then we had the, the 911 tape and they selectively edited it. So it made him emphasize that Trayvon Martin was black. That was really yeah. dirty. Why did, and then he tried to sue about that, and they threw it out. What I'm getting at is that this this character assassination of a Michael Flynn or a George Papadopoulos or a Carter Page was done with malice and intent, and it was demonstrable that after they were maligned on CNN or MSNBC or in radio shows, their careers were damaged. It was there was no controversy that 50, 50 former intelligence officers used the media, used the media to spread a lie about the Russian disinformation, quote unquote, laptop. And, they, and that was really destructive to the owner of that computer store. He had to shut it down for a long time, maybe permanently. And they went after him and they knew it was a lie. And so I could replicate those examples but i don't understand the theory then that if you're on a you, you're in a network and you have people on that network who are saying things that are demonstrably untrue or just theories passed off as facts and that hurts people or the reputation of a company then it's worth i don't know 750 million dollars or what's the what's the i guess what i'm asking what's the standard is there yeah. a standard is it just left-wing people can do it and right-wing people can't i mean i'm no i'm not a supporter of sydney powell i never understood i mean she had some utility with michael flynn when she was able to show some irregularities as his lawyer the way he was treated but and I don't think she should have been allowed to keep staying these things without evidence. And finally, I think people like Tucker said no more within, you know, he just said she's not either come on and, and substantiate it or, or not. But I don't see that it's equitable. That's all I'm saying. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's then turn to Elon Musk. So Tucker recently had a long interview with him and so many things in it. And I thought maybe you would comment first on the Twitter. He cut Twitter um, employees by apparently 80%. I thought 20%, said, no? 
no, no, he cut it by 80%. Oh, wow. And so only 20% were left. And he said, well, it just goes to show you, and those are my words, but that it was absurdly overstaffed. And those are his words. <laughs> but I was wondering what you what your thoughts on that, because he does continue on to talk about how a lot of that staff was used to monitor people and things like that. Well, I mean, I was just... He went through the whole gamut of all the things that he's done. And I listening to him, I mean, he said that he himself has a touch of Asperger's. And partly it's hard to follow him because of his South African accent. Partly he doesn't look the interlocutor right in the face. But that being said, he's a very brilliant guy. I was just thinking as he went through some of the things he's done, even that boring company, I think it has a big contract ongoing with Las Vegas with this new technology. You remember when Europe, the EU, the collective brain power of the entire EU announced that they were going to have this Ariane, I guess that's the Latin version of Ariadne, you know, the the daughter who was sacrificed supposedly to the Minotaur that Theseus yeah. saved. Yeah. Ariadne. So, but Anyway, they said the Ariane missile was the way of the future. And then all of a sudden, Elon Musk came on in the private sector, and his SpaceX missile just clobbered it. I mean, it carries a much bigger payload. It's more likely to be reusable. It's much more. He's got a lot, dozens more successful. And how could one person do that? Just, just counter. It would be like a guy looking at Airbus. And saying, well, you know, U.S. has Boeing, but I'm going to make my own my own airplane and just wipe out, wipe the field with Airbus. I don't know how he did it. And then to it's do amazing. that as a major Tesla owner, when I when I thought electric cars, you know, it's going to be 50 miles. But then he comes out with his car that can go. You know, I'm not a big fan of only going 250 or 300 miles, but that in itself, the last two or three years was a milestone. A car that doesn't break down that's electric that can go 250 to 330 miles in theory. And then to to do that, and then to take over Twitter, and he and then on national TV to admit that he lost 40, he paid 40 billion too much for it, but nonetheless, he's changed the entire social media network by showing that the FBI was hiring Twitter out to serve the function of the Biden administration, essentially, and the left, to go after yes. people and to suppress, to change the the result of an election by suppressing news of the laptop. And again, and then the unknown or unnamed government agency, which was the CIA, was these are incredible revelations. So to do all of that at 51, I was just stunned. Yes. And he's just matter-of-factly without any emotion. And, you know, he he says they, they keep they keep uh, smearing him because they're angry that he's turning Twitter into a disinterested platform. And to do that, you have to get rid of these left wing ideologues that are not disinterested. And when you do that, then they say you're right wing rather than centrist and classically liberal, which he is. Yes. And, so, and to put up with all of that, it, it's pretty amazing. And when he dissected that guy in the BBC, I mean, he just like he was like a frog on a plate that was dead and he was just cutting him open. 
And he just said, so you just said this and you have no evidence and you're lying. And the guy just goes, oh, yeah, I got, you know, that was, it was pretty good. So I think yeah, he's a very positive, we don't have very, we don't have any Thomas Edison's or Henry Ford or Alexander Graham Bell's or the Wright brothers anymore. They don't, they're, they're very hard to find. Yes. You know, I, I want to, you could argue that Steve Jobs was the last one maybe, but for him to yeah. do that, it's quite singular. Yeah, it was. I thought he was very interesting, too, because he said that not only did he find out that these government agencies were being given information from Twitter, but that he said the extent of the government agencies that had access, and not just that, but um, other governments outside of the U.S. that had access to information from Twitter and people's direct messaging. Now, direct messaging is, just means a message that you send between two private individuals. And he said, right when he said that, he said, I'm going to, I'm going to create an encryption system so people can still do that. And not even I can find out what they're saying. Now I have my doubts on that, but I mean, I, I uh, believe that encryption can do a lot, but if you can encrypt something, surely you can unencrypt it, right? <laughs> well, so, what he said was about, but, it was on the same strain as artificial intelligence. And he's the only one really that's sounding the alarm. Because You know why he is? Because he knows those people. He competes against them. He works with them. And if you distill what he was saying, I wrote a column kind of hinting at that. This, the scary thing about artificial intelligence is, it's a Frankensteinian monster, monster with supernatural powers, but there is a Dr. Frankenstein, right? Just like there's a coronavirus that reflects what? The values and the ideology of the People's Liberation Army. And the same thing is true of artificial intelligence. Who is going to be coding and directing and programming artificial intelligence? It's going to be some little nerd behind a screen in Menlo Park, right? Yes, and they're yes. going to have pink hair and a nose ring, and they're going to talk through their nose, and they're going to hate Donald Trump, and they hate the Christian right. That That's who's going to do it, and that's going to empower it. It's going to be scary yes. because it's not going to be neutral. It's going to be weaponized, just like the – and if you think I'm crazy or conspiratorial, ask yourself, what did we think about – when Google came out, I thought it was wonderful. I had never in my right mind, if you told me 15 years ago, that Google, some guy in Menlo Park would have a, a algorithm that when I search, uh, I don't know, if I search Michael Flynn, I'm going to get the first 100 stories are going to be negative, right? And yeah. they're going to do that intentionally. And so that I never, I only get one side. I never thought they would do that or what we've learned about Twitter or Facebook. But that was the ultimate and logical result of turning over vast amounts of technological power and money to these people. And I, I have some experience, not as much as most people, but I do, I did go to school in that area. And I know a lot of people in the tech industry and I work there and I hear them come on campus. And I've heard of four or five lectures in the last five years up from them. And they're scary people. They're scary people. When I eat in Menlo Park in the evening, I eat in Mountain View. I eat in Los Altos. I eat in, usually by myself. And I listen. And I find them terrifying people. I really do. And they're yes. going to be the architects of this new technology. Yeah, so sure meet are. our future Dr. Frankensteins. And they're going to create not one monster, but millions of them. Maybe that's why 
Elon Musk continued, and he was actually talking about his rocket company, but he said, we should not assume civilization is robust, right? And he was talking about Japan's low birth rate. In fact, he said, I don't know if his statistics are right or not, but he did say that they have two deaths for every birth in Japan these days. And he said, it looks like, I know, he goes, it seems like civilization is poised to, quote, end with a whimper and adult diapers. I agree. I agree. I've been writing about that. I'm getting so many emails. Okay, Victor, we heard it already. Civilization's in crisis. You've been there, done that. What's the cure? But my point is that the typical paradigm that built this country, that a young man either goes to work at 18 and learns a skill as a, a superb electrician or a plumber or a contractor, or goes to community college two years and becomes a police officer, or a fireman, or he gets a bachelor's degree and get a credential, becomes a teacher or accountant. And then in his mid twenties, he marries someone with like interest. They buy a home. They have two cars. They raise two to three children and they follow and they're productive. That's over with. It's pajama boy and life of Julia. That's who it is now. If you yeah. look at the, and I wrote about it extensively in the dying citizen, you look at the age of marriage. It's into 28, 29. The first child is 31, 32. And the first time you buy a home is in the late 30s. And it's only about 58% now who can buy a home. And so what we have is Mr. Hipster or Mr. Live in the Garage or Life of Julia bragging about how she's been on the dole from birth to death or Mr. Pajama Boy with his footsies in his 20s having chocolate. In a morning bragging that he doesn't have to work because he gets free health care. That's the paradigm. And that's really scary because the country's shrinking, shrinking, yes. shrinking. And we they, the left keeps saying, well, we have immigration. Yeah, you have immigration. You don't audit the people you come in. They're not diverse. You don't ask if they have the wherewithal to be self-supporting. You don't ask if they're legal. You don't ask if you've had a criminal or a health background. And meanwhile, you put somebody who fulfills all the classical qualifications for legal immigration, you put them on hold for years. It's a very strange thing. You know, you wake up someday mm -hmm. and you say, this is a this is a Kafka novel. Who am I? What do I look like? Where am I? Uh, you know, for years, I would always play a little game when I flew into JFK or S LAX or SFO. Not a game. It was kind of just I had this nightmare that I had dropped my passport somewhere, right? So you get in the long line and then you see every once in a while there's somebody turns white because they do not have a passport. They either are going to try to say that they forgot it and they don't have one or they really did. And they have a procedure or protocol for those people. Somebody comes out and they escort them into a room. I don't know what they do if they give them a chance to, you know, produce their license and then they can go on a computer and find the, find it or what or see if it's stolen, but there is a procedure. There is no procedure for non-citizens at the Mexican border. They just come across. Nobody cares, no ID. There, that, and I don't understand that asymmetry, why you would treat with rigor and audit an American citizen, but you would give a pass for somebody who you have no idea where they're from, who they are, or anything. Only a perverted nation would do that. Perverse, it is. Yes, and, I agree. And so when he says civilization is crumbling, look at the, the barometers. 
there's, you know, four or five barometers were broke. We, we have 130% debt to GDP. We owe 33 trillion. And now they're fighting because the Republicans say, hey, you're going to borrow $2 trillion. Can you just limit it to one and a half? You racist, you mean person. How do you how do you deal with that? Or yeah. the military? Oh, <laughs> nothing's wrong. We're short a whole division in the army. We have no hypersonic missiles. Uh, we just left fifty billion dollars in Afghanistan. But Mark Milley's looking for white rage. He's turned off every person he's supposedly that profile. And of course, as I keep hammering, they've died at twice their numbers in Iraq and Afghanistan. And then you look at other barometers of energy. Oh, we were energy independent. We were fracking. We were up going on a trajectory with all of our assets, pipelines, new new oil fields, new technology, new financing, up to 14, 15 million barrels. And then Joe Biden came in and said, you know what? We're all going to be electric. We don't need oil. And then all of a sudden, somebody said, Joe, gas is $5 a gallon. Go beg the Saudis. Go beg the Venezuelans. Go beg the Russians. Go beg the Iranians to pump before the midterm. Drain the strategic petroleum reserve. Blame it all on Trump. That's where we are. That, that's surreal. So, yeah, yeah. We're, we're having these civilizational. And I was asked at a, a Hoover event this weekend, Neil Ferguson and I were doing a question and answer. And he asked me, would you rather be alive in the 19th or 20th? And I said, other than health, you know, incidents, because I probably would have been dead with a ruptured appendix in Libya or torn ureter in Greece. But my point is that I would rather live in the 19th century because in the 20th century, I go to Home Depot and I leave my wallet on the counter for 20 seconds as I turn around to pick up a potted plant and it's gone. And I can't suggest to the checker that she saw who took it or she took it. Who knows? But yeah. I can tell you that in the 19th century, somebody would have delivered it out here to me. Yeah. And I would have done the same thing. So we're yeah. collectively better as a people, supposedly. We're less racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic, you know, but we're also worse as individuals. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. So, well, um, we're going to take a break here, and you are um, listening to the Victor Davis Hanson Show, and we are talking about Elon Musk, and Victor just mentioned illegal immigration. So after the break, we'll turn to the GOP's solution, or the immediate solution, some, some immediate solutions for illegal immigration that they're hoping to at least put forward. I know they can't get anything through the entire government, but so stay with us and we'll be right back. Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with, and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. 
Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. Have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Welcome back. Um, Victor, so here are... What well, you know what? Sheet. Wait, you know, I just thought of something, Sammy, before oh, go we ahead. go on. One of the... When we say civilization is crumbling, you can be, uh, you know, an observer of all this phenomenon, or you can look at your own level of expertise or your own small corner. So if you're an electrician, you have to ask yourself, yes, there's new technology, but were the electricians that you grew up with more professional and competent than the ones now, right? Or if you're a teacher or a professor asks of the people who are 65 that are retiring, do they have a different code or ethos? Well, in classical scholarship, I've been doing a lot of, because I'm writing a book now, on two of the chapters are on the ancient world. And I'm going through articles, peer-reviewed articles in the 40s, 50s, or 60s versus the 2010s, 15s, and contemporary. And it's just striking the mastery of Greek and Latin by a prior generation, philological articles. I look at the journals and, and see what they're writing about, or I look at the logic or the disinterested logic. And then I look at this stuff today, you know, and I, I look at, um, you know, the construction of madhood, manhood and the rhetoric of the other Annapolis. Okay. I just look at that and I read the article just, and there's no, there's no analysis. There's no, it's just this theory and that theory. And this is my point, And I'm going to get rewards from my department because I'm woke. And then sloppy use of languages. I don't think they know Greek and Latin at all very well. They don't know anything about epigraphy or archaeology. It's just, it's a total systems collapse of young scholars. And, yeah. and the whole fields are imploding. And I can see that that's happening. Uh, in a lot of much more important fields. And that's what's really scary because there's a lot of examples through history where people walk around through the ruins and they don't know what it is. If you're alive in Greece in 900 BC, Mycenae's been gone for 250 years and you have no idea, and the population is one tenth of what it was. And if you're herding goats in the northern Argolid, 
or I should say the northern Peloponnese, and you come by Mycenae, and you see this big wall, and you see this Tholos tomb you fall into, or you 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 see this, the Lion Monument, you say to my, yourself, well, I couldn't do that. Who were they? Well, they were Cyclops. And that you have the whole the whole ingredients or embryo for myth making. And that's where probably it started in the dark ages where people trying to make sense of superhuman phenomenon that they could not emulate in their impoverished present, but they had a vague idea that things were better in the past. I think we're gonna end we're gonna very quickly start to enter a period of nostalgic myth making because we're gonna start to see things that we can't do anymore. You know what I mean? And yes. I'm talking about airplanes that are really don't crash, or uh, we're going to see bridges that don't fall, and we're, we're going to look at the Hoover Dam, and we're going to say, hmm, or we're going to look at a, a, a transportation. Said, well, we 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 don't know how to do high speed rail. We're spending a hundred billion. It's nowhere. But how did they used to do it? Or we can't build a dam in. I think we have, the last dam we built was 1983. How did they build the Orville Dam? Hmm. Who built San Luis? Who do, who built Shasta Dam? Where are these people? Are they in the, all in the cemetery? But we've lost that expertise has not been transmitted to other generations, partly because of this war on meritocracy, partly because of individual lack of ethics or competency, partly because of the schools. But we're going to get into a situation where we're inhabiting a world uh, in our the material world that we ourselves can barely keep up, but we're not able to recreate and further and expand. And I think it's happening yes. right now. It really is. Yeah. When I, I just drove down the 99 freeway and I thought to myself, wow, somebody built six lanes in 1970. Who were they? They were better. Look at the roads now. They're just full of holes and and the, the, the cars are more sophisticated, but the drivers are far worse. And wow, you know, you, you look at these buildings, you think, when's the last time anybody built a high rise like that? And so I, I it's very scary. It it comes, it can come very quickly. You give something yes. like COVID and a lockdown and uh, the 120 days of exempt rioting and looting and killing, and then the Trump derangement syndrome and the weaponization of the law. And you can get a slow-moving process and accelerate it so that the country in 2023 does not look like the country at all in 2019. Yes, and what you're saying, though, is a, a little bit ironic on this particular podcast because we did just talk about Elon Musk, and he is very innovative. But, but he's, what that's, happens But that's to, a good example because it's the exception that proves the rule. He's hated. Yeah. He's hated. I pick. I look at articles. And I play a little game when I look at every morning. I see his name. I say plus or minus, plus or minus. They're mostly minus because the left wing media despises him. They talk about his his children, his many girlfriends and marriages. Uh, that he was from South Africa. That his father was Nazi like. That he doesn't get along with his daughter who's trans or something. It's all negative. No one ever stops and says, okay, you go out and you build SpaceX and you beat the Europeans yourself. Or, okay, you create an entire industry and then you become the best-selling car in California. Just go try it. 
You know what I mean? Yes, I do know what you mean. And that's so I don't see anybody else doing it. What is Bill Gates doing? He's got more money probably in cash. He's buying up farmland. He's buying land. Yes. For what? (laughs) For what? To To protect himself when the whole country goes to to shit. (laughs) Or to have his crackpot ideas about his Michael Bloomberg drop a seed in. Anybody can do what I did about farming. What is he doing? What is he doing with WHO? What is he doing on Jeffrey Epstein's plane? Apparently, he's aiding other governments in their surveillance of their own citizens. Yeah, he did. He did. He did. He did. He did. He did. And so that's my. So that's your answer to Elon Musk. He is this exception to the rule. So let's get back to immigration. Let's get back to. Yeah. So the GOP, I'm I'm sure they would like a wall, et cetera, in the long run. But their short run solutions are to uh, raise the standard for credible fear of asylum seekers, which is bringing in about 80 percent are being released under credible fear. So they want to raise that so they can stop and return to Mexico some. They want to close loopholes um, that prevent returning children to the country of origin and minimize family loopholes, which these families are coming in and then they're sending these kids back out and they pretend to be part of another family. Apparently that goes on to a great extent. So those are the three things. I thought that that was a positive thing, actually. It is. And I I admire Kevin McCarthy because he's trying to do all of these things. There's one problem. They have an eight to 10 margin only in the house. They don't have uh, complete unity on these issues. So they have to give concessions to get a majority. And when they do pass legislation, it's not going to pass in the Senate. Uh, they've been lucky so far because Diane Feinstein and Fetterman were out and they couldn't ram through these crazy judicial appointments, but that's not going to be forever. And the Senate can block it. Even if they were able to pull away a cinema and Joe Manchin, Joe Biden would veto it. What I'm getting at is that election of 2022 was a blank, blank disaster because they could have picked up three to four Senate seats and they didn't do it. Partly it's their own fault. Partly it was they were overwhelmed by left wing money. But nevertheless, I I mentioned that to Jack. There's three branches of government, the judiciary, and that's the Supreme Court and all the federal courts. And there's a presidency, the executive office and his cabinet. And there's the legislative. And that's tri-dual. There is a House and a Senate. They have one-sixth of the government. And that's very hard to, to enact change. And we know we know exactly how to stop illegal immigration because after all the lawsuits, after all the ridicule, after all the obstruction of the anonymous sort within his own ranks and the DOD, Donald Trump stopped illegal immigration at the end of 2019 on the eve of the COVID outbreak. How did he do it? He finally, finally, finally was able to rebuild 500 miles plus of rickety wall. And he had just started on the 20 and 30 miles of the new wall with no help from his cabinet or the courts. They tried to stop it. He stopped stopped catch and release. He made refugee status. It was incumbent. You had to apply for it overseas. He started to deport people. And the word, he went to the Mr. Obrador. 
who the socialist anti-American president. He said, if you keep doing this, we're going to renegotiate the entire pre-NAFTA pact with you, and you're going to not, you're going to regret it. And you put the fear of God into Obrador, and who put troops on the Guatemalan and American border. We, so we can do it. And all we and I would have added two or three things that could stop it really quick. Number one, you deport everybody who came within the last five years, B, everybody who is not working on public assistance, and C, everybody who's committed a felony. Now, the rest of the people who are illegal who've been here longer than five years, who are crime-free, who are working and productive, then you give them not a passage to automatic citizenship, but to a green card. Have them pay a fine for breaking the law, and we'll see. That would stop. That would send a message. Don't go in the United States. You're going to get deported. Number two, if you just took the $60 billion that are sent back to Mexico alone with another 50 to Central America, and you said, you know what? All money, I don't care who your name is, all money who goes back to those two countries from a United States source is taxed at 10%. That's basically what? 10 to $12 billion in income, then use that and finish the wall. Make what Trump said, make Mexico pay for it. Number three, and anybody who's on public assistance cannot send any money back, even with a tax, because we know what's happening. They're getting health, housing, food, medical subsidies that free up money, and then that money is sent back to Mexico to replace the money that Mr. Obrador will not spend on indigenous people in places like Chiapas, Yucatan, Oaxaca, because these are because Mexico is a racist country. And so they're asking us to give subsidies to their foreign nationals to free up money so they can send back to do what the Mexican government should do. Number four, we can we should immediately, immediately go after the cartels that are deliberately exporting this fentanyl that's killing a hundred thousand people. And there are cartel members in the United States. It's very dangerous to hike around the upper California Sierra foothills. You can bump into these people. And we should have a federal task force that goes after every American resident, citizen or not, who's involved with the cartel. And that could be a, a lifelong conspiracy sentence if, if convicted. And we could tax the car. They've got about $10 billion in profits coming from here. And so we can put them on an international terrorist list so that we have the names of all of them. They cannot fly. They cannot leave the country. And they, can, they can't come in on any auspices or their families. You could do all of that, but we're not doing any of it. And, you, and, the, when you, and the result is you get six and a half million entries. When I write about it, and I have a syndicator that I've been for nearly 20 years. This is what I get. Well, you can't use the word illegal alien. How about illegal immigrant? No, you can't use the word illegal immigrant. How about uh, unlawful? No. Migrant. Migrant. There's no prefix M or E, E or I, right? You don't want to prejudice the idea they're going one way or the other way. It's just a, a migrant, just like anybody else who... You know, 
wanted to get a second home in Cabo. He's a migrant too, no different, legal or illegal. That, or if you say there's six and a half million illegal, prove it, prove it. So when I write a column for this indicator, sometimes I have to foot, it's almost like I'm writing a research paper. It comes back not as bad as it used to be because I kind of divorced myself a little bit from them because I don't really care to, whether it's syndicated or not. But it's always, always a, a demand for certification uh, from one ideological point of view. If I wrote uh, illegal immigration is a minor problem and I lied and said there's only 500,000 crossings, I don't think that editors of syndicated columns would care. You see what I'm saying? Yes, it's I do. It's all one way. And that is what's very frustrating. Yeah, and it sure th- this, is. On this issue, because ultimately people look at the border and they look at this pathological liar, Mayorkas, who gets before Congress, takes an oath, and then just lies his head off and says the border's secure, there's no problem, except during the midterms. And then they kind of go through the motion because it has about a 70% negative polling uh, result about their policies. But ultimately, people ask themselves, what the hell is going on? What is the purpose? This costs billions of dollars in social costs to the United States. It spikes the crime rate when you don't audit immigrants. It takes away valuable social services from our own indigenous citizens, our own poor many of them Mexican-American, and they're citizens. So what is behind this? And then it's, there's a pause, Sammy, and then they say, oh, you're Tucker Carlson, great replacement theory. And I think, well, where did that come from? That's just your, your new vocabulary for what you've been bragging about for 40 years. Quote, demography is destiny. Right-wing Republicans, demography is destiny, i.e. subtext. We flip California. We flip New Mexico. We flip Nevada. We flip Colorado. We're flipping Arizona, maybe Georgia and Texas. But if you mention what we're doing, we're not going to call it demography of destiny. It's going to say you're a crackpot, great replacement theorist. And, you know, Bill Crystal, I think it was an AEI symposium, got caught on a kind of a hot mic. He was just talking and said he had no problem because he thought it was good to get rid of some Americans. He said, you know what? Uh, you know, we get soft and lazy, and so they should just be replaced. And so, you know, what was the problem? What was the problem? Well, if you live in, I don't know, Chevy Chase or you live in Alexandria and you've got a lot of money and the world is protected and secure. But if you live out in Mendota or San Joaquin or outside of Reedley, it's a pretty wild world out there with illegal immigration. Yeah, it sure is. Well, Victor, let's go ahead and take our last break and then come back and talk about some of the recent events in Chicago with riots and in LA and also the House Judiciary Committee that is investigating um, violence going on and the, the policies for violence. So stay with us and we'll be right back for that discussion. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. 
I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. We're glad you're back. And this is the last um, topic for today, Victor. I, I, I want to build a little bit of a collage very quickly and then just kind of ask what is going on here. So if you go online, you're going to find videos of these um, teens rioting. And one of them I saw they beat up on a poor woman. Like there were must have been 20, 30 people around her and she had no way out. It was so such a sad video to watch. And um, then teens ransacking a gas station and the mayor gets up, our new mayor, who seems like much like the old mayor, Lori Lightfoot, but Brandon, Brandon Johnson says, well, we shouldn't demonize youth have otherwise been starved of opportunities in their communities. And then finally, we see um, in the House Judiciary Committee, Nadler, who starts reciting declining murder rates in New York City to a woman who's just recounted her own son being um, killed in in violence in New York City. The, her name was Madeline Brom, and it it just seems surreal what's going on. The the narrative um, that we see in the um, presses and you know with people like Nadler just seems to be really detached from reality, yeah, as so well as Brandon Johnson. Yeah. He 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 was very insensitive to the parents of all these people who were shot, maimed, killed, and he was just pontificating. He says the crime rate's going down. Compared to what? Because it really spiked in 2020 and 21, and then maybe it's going down from a record high a little bit. So then he demagogues that. And the, the point is that when you... When you look at these things that are going on at Compton, they had this swarming of the gas station and just people were just openly taking pictures. You could see the, the miscreants inside this, the store. They were destroying it. You can't have a civilization like that. It won't work if people work very hard to create a business and then people with complete impunity. And I'm saying complete impunity because I do not think there's a task force uh I really don't think there's a task force in L.A. that's looking at every single frame of those videos, right, and giving rewards for people who send them the videos and then trying to use computer scans and find out who those people are and arrest them. Because I think they feel that if they did, George Gascone would think, that's not a crime. They don't have anything. They just have cell phones and $300 sneakers, and but they need a condom. So they went in and took it. You don't take a condom because you don't need one. So you made a law against taking a condom. That's critical legal theory. I'm not going to do anything. And when you looked at the Chicago 
that woman was, there was a very brave guy. It looked like he was fighting to save her, but she was going to be beaten to death. And this is what I'm getting at. And you got to be very careful because I looked at CNN today and I looked at Apple News and Google News. Here's, I just saw this and I, I don't have it by memory, but it was a headline, white homeowner accused of shooting black teen who just rang his doorbell. You remember that story with that poor fellow, Mr. Yari? He was, I don't know, he was 16. He was looking to pick up some teenagers. He, African-American, he goes to the door and some poor 85-year-old white guy, for some reason, shoots him right through the screen Mm, and gets paranoid. Well, that's a horrible thing. And I, I think he should be prosecuted for reckless endangerment, second degree manslaughter. I don't know what the particular felony is, but he will be. But my point is that was the only story in all of these left wing news. And there was nothing really about the woman who was almost beaten to death, right, by this crowd of largely, not all, but largely African-American teens, or the people in Compton, not all, but largely African-American teens, or the three girls who were executed in Florida with their gang dalliance by three African-American teens, or the little 10-year-old boy and his sister in Florida who were beaten to a pulp on a bus by African-American teens. Or Rand Paul's aide that was stabbed and almost killed by an African-American, right? Or that poor doctor who was riding his, remember that? His, his oh, yes. road bike down in Orange County, and he was killed by a mixed person of mixed race who said that he hated white people. My point mm-hmm. was that you could argue that if this case were a person shot through the, and I think this is probably some person who watches TV all day long and is paranoid about all of the crime he sees and he's defenseless and he gets a gun and he's doesn't know proper protocol and he shoots somebody and he will pay a big price for that. And he should, because from what we know now, that kid was perfectly innocent. But so was the woman who was trying to get into her apartment. So was the doctor. So were the poor kids on the bus, and there's nothing. So was Rand Paul's aide. There's no stories. There's no outrage. There's no Black Caucus commentary. There's no Al Sharpton. And when you want to, like Heather McDonald is doing a valuable search. She's trying to quantify that. But when you try to quantify it and you go to look at data, you can't find the FBI uh, statistics much earlier than 2020 or, or 19. Partly that's because states like California refuse to turn over their data to the FBI because they don't want it to be used to show trends that they feel is what unhelpful to the narrative. Just like cities in the Bay Area will not release the mugshot or BART won't show videos of kids swarming people and beating them up. And so what I'm getting at is that this is an unsustainable dialogue we're having and it goes like this that from the last data we have 2019 and 2020 from the fbi african-americans that are about 12 percent to 13 percent half of those are six to seven percent males half of those between 14 and 40 is about three to five percent of the population 46% of all violent felonies are committed largely by that rubric. 
There may be some women, some older men, when the data shows that African-Americans commit 46% of all, but it's mostly that 3 to 5% of murders. It's climbed to 54% of all murders in the United States are committed by that 3 to 4%. And then people will say, well, mostly the victims are African-American. That's true. That's more reason why to concentrate on that 3 to 5%. But more importantly, in interracial crime, it's about six to eight times more likely for an African-American in that rubric, male, three to five, to shoot somebody, hurt, rape somebody, assault somebody who is not of his race than that race to attack him. In rare hate crimes, that rubric is about two and a half, two to two and a half times more likely to assault somebody of another race than to be assaulted. So do you see my picture? There is yes, data there, and yes. it shows that we have a problem. Now, you can argue about the exegesis of it, the origins. You can say, well, Victor, it's the history and the legacy of slavery and Jim Crow. Let's discuss it. It's because of institutional poverty. Let's discuss it. Or if you're on the conservative side, well, Victor, it's a great society. They destroyed the black family. Tom Sowell's to be cited in these cases. So is Shelby Steele. But whatever the particular analysis is, you have to start with the premise, and we're not talking about it. To talk what I just said, I'm probably going to get an email from some dean at Stanford that I'm on probation. But you can't talk about facts. And when the medicine is worse than the disease in a society, it, it falls apart. Kind of like the debt, you can't talk about federal spending. But that's the problem. And we have to, if you could just have the African American crime rate reflect the Asian crime rate, the Mexican American crime rate is a little higher than its demographic. But if it just reflected the Mexican American or the poor white demographic, then you, the crime problem would, would basically disappear. You would have crime rates analogous to European countries. And yet no one wants to talk about this. And the, why is that? So then that demands some explanation. Is it because the Al Sharpens or the Black Caucus feel that without a a riot or an a asymmetrical crime rate, there's no leverage over people? Is that it? I don't know. But all these issues are not going to disappear unless you're honest about it. If yes, can, oh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, can I play left wing? intellectual yes. or whatever. And yeah, left go ahead. Larger. I want to be refuted because I don't want to be right. I They would say to you, well, all of our DEI initiatives, whether they're in education or in companies, et cetera, are intended to make the those places more comfortable for Blacks so that that population has someplace else to go besides the streets. And that's kind of a short of what I think but they're argument is. But that's not directed at the people that were beating up that poor white girl trying to get into her apartment, or the people that were beating that person up on the bus, or the person that ran over the bicyclist and then went out and stabbed him to death, or the person that ambushed Ram Paul's aide and tried to stab him to death. That Those people are not applying for those jobs. The people who or are going applying, to school. No. Yeah. yeah. The people who are applying are middle class and elites. Don Lamone is not doing that. Don Lamone is applying on the argument 
that he represents the African-American prejudicial traditions, and therefore he needs some repertory uh, treatment because he's incompetent and he's nasty and he's mean, but he's got a very good billet. He has no ratings and that ruthless business. If you don't have ratings for whatever cause, you're gone. And they've been firing people. They will not fire him. And that what is that based on? Is it based on the idea that there is an enormous black crime problem and society has to address it? And because they don't know how to address it, maybe one of the solutions is to take a very elite, well-educated Don Lamone and give him a nudge up. Is that what it is? Because that's not going to answer the problem. But I think that's part of the problem, that we take the Oprahs and the Obamas and the Eric Holders of the world, and we say, you're suffering from all of these pathologies, given, and we're going to give you extra. And so we're not going to let Barack Obama's, I don't know, we're not going to let his transcript be released from Harvard or what he said that the LA Times recorded. We're not going to release that or we're going to suppress that photo with Farrakhan before the election. And we're going to do that because he represents a tradition of racism. But is that because we've got chaos in all of our cities? And that's not going to redirect it. Believe me, when Don Lamone goes to Chicago, or New York, he does not go at 11 at night in Harlem, or he doesn't go into south side of Chicago at, at the wrong time in the wrong place. Maybe J Jesse Small, it was, very, it was very important what he did as an iconic moment because he is an elite. And what he was trying to show you is that he is a victim of white crime, but he couldn't find white crime. He could walk around everywhere in Chicago he could walk into Atherton. He could walk into Hillsboro. He could go into, I don't know, any community, Chevy Chase, and he would not be assaulted at two or three in the morning. So he had to invent it. You know what I mean? And he yes, couldn't find white yeah. people. Why didn't he just go hire some white people? I don't understand why he had to hire two African immigrants from Africa and then make them wear white face. You um, see what I'm saying? Yes. And I why agree. did he have to come up with a noose? If there, if what this narrative is true, there would be nooses everywhere. All you'd have to do is, hey, I'm going to go down and find a really nice area of Houston or Mobile, and there'll be nooses everywhere and MAGA hats, and I'm dead. He can't. So that's what's behind all of when you have a, a, a toxic situation where you have too many victimized and not enough victimizers, too many of the oppressed, and you're in dire need of the oppressors. You get the Duke lacrosse. You get the news stories. You get the guy that's a NASCAR that becomes a folk hero because he says that there's a news somewhere. Because you can't find the actual demonstration. I'm not saying there's not insidious, yeah. implicit, but you also have to add adjectives. You have to say systemic, right, or insidious because you can't just say racism because you can't find racism in, at the level you need to be a victim. And that's that's something. The only person I know that that's writing about or talking about it uh, is Tom Sowell and Heather McDonald. That's about it. Yeah. And yeah. they're both been demonized terribly. And to the degree that I even discuss it, I try to go before I say anything. I try to look at the FBI statistics. And you know what I find out when I go search them, going back to the Google or the searches, it's hard to find them, Sammy, because. They're embedded with other articles. You know what all the articles are about? They're in, from criminology professors. You know what they're all about? They're trying to contextualize embarrassing data. 
Mm. And they either say yeah. one of two things. Uh, the vast majority of victims are African-American. Yes. Yes. And that somehow excuses it. I don't understand that when people say, well, yes, but the, the victims are African-American. It doesn't matter who the victims are. The, the, the point is you can stop it if you focus on that particular group. And what would you do? You'd have to have a carrot and a stick. You'd have to get all these elite people and just say, you know what? Why don't you you have charter schools? Why don't you have mentor programs? Why don't you move into the inner city? Why don't you do that? You're very liberal. You can do that. And then you would have to say, if you're going to, if you have a felony arrest and you use a gun, then you're going to go to jail and you're going to stay there. There was about, what was it, the 370 or so uh, shoplifters, crime thieves, uh, these crime waves were, were responsible for the vast majority of crime in New York. It wouldn't be very hard. There's not that many people that are doing it. Yes, yeah, and, that's true. And, and it's not the African-American community per se. It's inner city African-American youth with one parent, no father, uh, between the ages of 14 and 40. And there's a certain historical paradigm about that when in a society where there is no father, and or there is a sometimes father who can abuse the children or the wife and leaves comes back and the mother then in these types of tribal paradigms then bonds with the son because the son is the protector of the mother and then the mother then indulges the son so you have the surreal paradoxical situation where somebody without a father and without equal opportunity can be in a sense spoiled by the mother who focuses on that child as her only defense and source of security and that's what's happening and so it's it's really sad but it's also very dangerous i got in really big trouble years ago Remember Ta-Nehisi Coates? He was a great heartthrob. And he was giving this thing. He wrote essays about the talk, right? You have to have the talk with your son and says the police are out to kill you, basically, and be careful. And then we found out that the Washington Post showed that on an average year, I think it's 11 out of 11 African-Americans are shot while unarmed during the arrest process or in custody nationwide out of 11 million arrests. And while they are overrepresented in the demographics since they're three to 5% of male suspects and whites are a much larger group, and yet they're about equally represented as shot in terms of those who come in contact with the police, they're not they're not overrepresented. And that fact didn't phase any of these people when they started talking about the talk. So I wrote a thing, I think it was from National U, and said, I had a talk too. And basically, when I had no money and I was a graduate student, I moved to East Palo Alto. It was pretty wild, really wild, right on 101 in those days, 70s. And my father came there and he said, you know, I just went up to Oakland to drive your mother to somewhere. And I got surrounded by four African-American young people when I went to get to the car and they tried to rob me and he was a pretty big guy. And he said, it'll be a lot easier if I just give you each $20. And then he was saying, don't go to this area. And then he looked, walked around my apartment, in East Palo Alto. And he said, I got to tell you something. Do not go out in this neighborhood after nine o'clock. Just don't do it. 
and he left. And I thought, you know what? I, I'm going to go to the library one night. So I got on my 10 speed. It wasn't a 10 speed in those days. It had the gears, you know, down on the frame. Whatever yes. It was. And I, <laughs> I had no helmet. I was going down University Avenue and I got to Middlefield Road and a pickup pulled up alongside me and said, hey, you, what time is it? I said, I don't know. It's dark. I had lights on and they jumped out and tried to take my bike. And my <laughs> fingers were like vices, you know, that this is the only way I have to get to school. And so he had this ridiculous situation of these three African-American teens trying to pull my bike from me. And I was intertwined like an octopus and they were lifting, <laughs> lifting it up. And then a policeman came by and they threw it down with me on it. And Ski I thought, <laughs> and that was my father's advice. So I wrote about that. I just said, I had to talk to, and I was called a racist. I was just defamed all through the internet. But it yeah. was, it was, it, I think what I'm getting at is if we do not have an honest conversation that there's an inordinate profile to violent crime in the country, and we have to have an open mind why that is so, and we entertain both liberal and conservative analyses, and we let, we have a debate and in a debate not to demonize or to do anything, but to save lives, lives of any background. And then we try to come up with a solution. But what we're doing now is we're unleashing BLM and the Sharptons and the grifters of BLM uh, to demonize, sue the media, sensationalize. And we're not going to, we're not going to have the problem because the average Joe of any ethnic background is going to say, well, wait a minute. I'm a Chinese American dentist and the African American attacks on people of, that are Asian is disproportionate. Nobody talks about it. Or I'm a Hasidic Jew and the African American attacks on Hasidic Jews versus Hasidic Jews on Africa is very asymmetrical and nobody talks about it. Or I'm a poor white person and everybody's making fun of me of being racist, but interracial crime and hate crimes, which might be proper barometers of racism, is disproportionately black on white and black on other groups rather than other groups and white on black. And that's all. Yeah. 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 Well, Victor, we're at the end of the show. Uh, thank you very much for everything today. It was wonderful. And I would like to thank the listeners as well. And I'd like to thank everybody for putting up with me again. <laughs> I have one thing, actually, yeah, before yeah. we leave. I was um, at that Hoover conference as well, and I noticed walking out, I, I was behind you a little ways, and this young kid who was clearing tables as part of the team that had put, you know, that had done the service and stuff, and he turned around. You didn't notice him but because there was way too many people talking to you, but he goes... Hello, Mr. Hansen. Thank you for everything you do. So I thought I'd tell you that. Yeah, he's very young. What I was impressed by was very young because we always kind of think our population is older, but he was probably early 30s. The somewhere. reason I'm talking about race is that I never had that reaction. I'm 69. And I people, you know, I was occasionally on Fox. I, I did some radio. I even did NPR. I wrote for the New York Times Book Reviews. You name it, I wrote, you know, at that time, say till I was 63. But I, I had that occasionally. But you go on Fox three nights a week 
and you get that a lot. But what I'm getting at is not, I don't, you know, it's not, it's not an ego that I don't, I'm uncomfortable. I have, so, I'm socially inept anyway. So when people I don't know come up, but I'm very struck and moved when they all say, thank you. And you say, well, what did I do? And what follows is something like that. But what they're really saying is not about me or anybody. It's we don't have people that speak out for a traditional American view. We are not culpable. We are not racist. We're good people. We're, our whole traditions, our history have been defamed and smeared and lied about. And there's, you know, Abraham Lincoln was a good man. And George Washington was a good man. And the U U.S. Constitution was good. And what we did in World War II was commendable. And what we did in the Cold War was good. We don't have to be perfect to be good. And yeah. they don't have a voice. So anybody they detect it, that is empathetic to them and wants to to voice what they're feeling, I think they get very emotional. And I, and I, I wasn't aware of that before. And now I am because people come up and say, and I'm sure they do that to a lot of people. But mm -hmm. what I'm getting at is there's a whole group of people out there that they get up and they live a, a, a life, not of quiet desperation, but of quiet frustration. And they mm, want to yes. yell out, they want to yell, put their head out the window and said, I'm not a racist, I'm not a transphobe, but damn it, I'm not going to sit here Why 50 years of women's efforts to obtain uh, gender equity, sexual equity in sports is going to be destroyed by biological males who have muscular skeletal advantages. I'm not going to sit here and take that. I'm not. I'm not going to have my son uh, or my daughter, I'm not going to have my daughter go into the shower at 13 with somebody who has testicles and a piece. I'm not going to do that. And so they don't feel that they can articulate that without being smeared and demonized. Yes, and I think true. they're looking for anybody to to say something. And uh, it's just they, they go on television and they see all of these videos of crime and they see that everybody is deploring it. Even Fox, I mean, the only person that talks about it to some degree is Tucker Carlson, and they call him a racist. But what his point is that when you look at what the people are doing in Chicago swarming, that's racist. Or what they did in Compton is largely, believe me, there's a racial component to it. There's a racial component to what happened to that doctor. There was a racial component on that bus, but you cannot talk about that. And that mm. and that's very important because if you keep talking about race in just these polarizing terms, you're going to get that. So if somebody does that, and they'll think, well, why not go swarm somebody? Because I turned on CNN and they all they talked about was rage, rage. And then Mark Milley said the military's got white rage and white supremacy in it. Can you believe that? And that's that filters down. Yeah, it sure does. And it, and it becomes, well, if that's true, then it's okay to do this. And that's what's scary, because this is yeah. what uh, this is what Rwanda was about. This is what Yugoslavia was about. This is what the violent sectarian violence in Ireland. And once you start doing that, and nobody stops it, and nobody says it's wrong to demonize somebody collectively by their race, no matter who it is, and you are perpetuating a stereotype that is racist and you're virtue signaling and demagoguing this and this is going to inflame people and that is that your purpose and if people will say that we can stop it yeah 
All right, Victor. Thank okay. you very much. Thank this you. Is, this is Sammy Wink and Victor Davis Hansen, and we're signing off. It's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, experts, politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey.